Hey, let's pray, and then we're going we're gonna to start a brand new series uh, that I'm really excited about. Uh, God, we, we ask that you would be here, that you would be here strong, that your muscles would be in this room, your Holy Spirit muscle, that you, that you would speak to us, that you would change us, mold us, shape us. Don't let us walk out of here the same. God, would you empower me to speak your word with passion and grace and mercy, filled with your spirit and anointing, we love you, Jesus. And you're going to pray these things. Amen. Hey, first week, new year. We thought, let's start something new, something big. Yes, and that something new and something big is we're going to go verse by verse to an entire gospel according to Mark. That'll bring us through most of the year, just so you know. We'll, we'll take some break, breaks for some topical stuff here and there. But that's going to bring us all, all the way through the year, the entire gospel according to Mark, verse by verse. Um, and here's what we came up with. We had a big creative meeting, right? We had the big whiteboard out and the big white papers and, uh, you know, what do we call this thing? And, and here's what we came up with as a staff. We came up with Mark. Um, so really kicking down some creative doors here with, with that. Um, we call that selective creativity. We call that selective creativity, not laziness. Uh, we, we decided, like, th- there are things as a staff, as a lead team, that you can spend a lot of time on. You're in control of that. Like how much time you spend on what things, on what creativity, you're, you're in control of that. Uh, and, and we like that the church is creative. Like the church is getting super creative. I saw on YouTube some pastor flew down from the ceiling at some point. Good, good for him. It's not me. I'll fire myself if that ever happens. But the church is getting dynamic and creative, and God is dynamic and creative, and humanity is dynamic and creative, and so we like that there are thousands of expressions of who God is, and different churches, and different languages, and dialects, the church is very diverse, we love that about the church, for us we decided we want to be selectively creative, meaning we're going to decide what we really spend a lot of time on, Uh, and and I want to explain that. And I also want to explain why we're going to go verse by verse through an entire book of the Bible uh, with one story. So, so pray for me as I, as I try to do that. Um, and, and I'm going to really build a case for why we would do this, okay? Now, I put three different videos uh, on Facebook. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, like, like, give me some real reasons why we would spend a whole year on something like this. So far, the only views are my mom. Uh, so my mom really likes it. So she said, that's my baby. She always does this. It's like, mom... I'm, I'm too old for this type of stuff. It's not my soccer game. I'm not eight anymore. You can't, you can't do that. But she does it anyway. We've had six talks. It doesn't matter, all right? So at least she's liked it so far. If you want some more backup why we're doing this, uh, head on Facebook. We didn't cut it up and put it on Instagram yet, but head on Facebook, and, and you can find it there. I was, I was 20, 20 years old. I was working at a, at a church called The Chapel. It's, it was called Jacksonville Chapel. Now it's called The Chapel. Some of you are actually from there. Shout out to The Chapel back in the day. Um, and it's a big mega church in North Jersey. And I was a youth intern, but there was also this church rising up, this church plant rising up uh, on campus. That's how you know it's a big church when it has a campus, okay? Uh, and, and it was a new young church plant, and I got to be a part of that too. I got to sit on the programming meetings and the leadership meetings, and, and it was very formative for that age for me. Um, and there was really about 50 to 100 people, Okay. Now, that's a good number for a lot of places, 50 to 100 people, um, but if you're sitting on the doorstep of a megachurch, and you've been going for three years, and that's the number that you started with, that's not really a good number. That's not really showing good signs, all right? And I sat in on their programming meetings, and their programming meetings were not selectively creative, okay? They were all about the buzzword experience, 
When someone walks in the door, let's give them an experience. Let's hit all five of their senses. Like, let's give them something to hold. If we're talking about hardship, let's give them something hard, like a rock, and let's give them a little ship. So everybody, get, we're spending hundreds of dollars on this. Everybody's getting a rock and a ship on Sunday, and they're going to know that we talked about hardship. And then let's give them something visual. So let's do a video. Uh, let, let's, let's do, like, Braveheart. Let's have Brave, Braveheart when they're running into battle, and we'll talk about running into battle. And let's get a sword. We'll buy a sword for the stage. How much is it? $300. It's okay. We're a mega church in North Jersey. It's in the budget. Buy the sword. Okay? What are we going to use the sword for afterwards? Doesn't matter. We always need a good sword around, right? Open letter envelopes like ninjas. It's going to be great, right? So, so we buy the sword. And if you think I'm joking about any of this, we actually had a goat on stage one Sunday. A goat. And you may think, what was this sermon about? Nobody knows. Because every 30 second, seconds, this ugly animal, ah, and you're just like, what is happening? And you were just so distracted by this. And I loved the leadership. And the leadership actually is amazing. But they were just kind of swept up in this. Like there were popular leaders of the day, just like there are now. Back then it was Rob Bell before his theology kind of went, rip, rip. And uh, he wore black framed glasses with black shirts. And so the leadership was wearing black framed glasses with black shirts. We had a cool, trendy name. It was called Emergence. And the program was good. It was like a small, off-Broadway show every Sunday. The, the sights and the sounds, our budget was really good. Uh, and there was just one major problem. There was no emergence. There was no power. There was no Holy Spirit. There was no salvation. Marriages were not changing. Nobody was getting freed from addiction. The power of the gospel was not present. People were not wandering forward to get saved by Jesus Christ. Nobody was walking into the baptism pool. Like, nothing was happening. And the leader, like any good leader, and he was a good leader, went to the woods and said, God, what is the deal? How come this is not going well? We're doing all of this and nothing's happening. And God spoke to him and told him to stop. Just stop all of it. Stop the games, stop the videos, stop the goats on stage. Stop. Preach my word. That's what God said to him. He said, but God, God, I am preaching your word. No, no, no. Not as a side dish to your creative meeting. Not as the last thing that you talk about. Not a little bit of my word sprinkled in for... No, preach my word. Preach my gospel about my son through the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, preaching the book that my Holy Spirit wrote. And so that's what he did. We started going verse by verse through books of the Bible. We changed our programming meetings from programming meetings to scripture and prayer meetings. We started inviting people up for prayer after the sermon. That church, 12 years later, you can still go to it, I invite you to go to it, um, is six different campuses of thousands and thousands of people that have met Jesus. That was the turning point. Now, I'm all for the creativity. I am. I'm all for selective creativity, for sure. But nothing will replace the power of God's word. Nothing. Nothing will replace a group of people praying the Holy Spirit in on Sunday morning and us encountering the Holy Spirit. Nothing will replace that. I promise you. We'll get creative, for sure. But nothing's going to replace that. Nothing's going to replace you coming in with the correct hungry heart and saying, Jesus, I'm yours this Sunday. 
I don't, I don't care what's going on. I, I, I know there's a lot going on in my life, but I'm turning my heart to you. I'm turning my heart to you in surrender. I give you my heart. You take it. And then the preacher preaching all of God's word, the hard stuff, the easy stuff, the, the wrathful stuff, the love stuff, the, the stuff that tickles your spirit a little bit, and the stuff that convicts you to your core. The preacher preaching all of God's word for what it is. That is where the life change happens, I promise you. Let's let the Bible talk about itself. First scripture that we'll study today. All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. This is the same breath that breathed the sun, the moon, the stars into existence that separated the waters from the lands. This is the same breath. And so creating, the, I mean, Jesus isn't on the number one bestsellers list in, in, in New York. Right? He created the, the world bestsellers list and he killed it. Right? Best, best-selling book of all time. All scripture is God breathed. And is useful for what? Giving us a little tickle making us feel comfortable, making us feel good about our budget. No, it's useful for teaching, for rebuking. Who likes to be rebuked? For correcting, training. You ever trained for something? You're not chilling. Chilling ain't training. Training ain't chilling. Not the same thing. Training is hard. There's perseverance. There's pressing. So that the servant of God, that's what we are, we're not, we're not dictators of God. We're servants of God, maybe thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's let the Bible speak for itself. Here's another scripture. For no prophecy, that scripture, was ever produced by the will of man. See, I, this is hard for people to understand because we think because man wrote it that it's in the will of man. But it's not in the will of man. This was never in the will of man. Yes, there's the Council of Nicaea, and yes, people are writing as, as the Holy Spirit infiltrates them and they put pen to paper. But all of this scripture, all of this prophecy was produced as men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, it has a trickle-down effect. Therefore, it's alive, it's active, it pierces, it crosses generation, it crosses gender, it crosses uh, diverse boundaries, it brings death to the things that need death, it brings resurrection to the things that need resurrection, it brings salvation, grace, mercy, conviction, it never leaves us the same. Let's let the scripture speak for itself. One more. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. You won't live, church, if you're not living on this. But every word that comes from the mouth of God, you won't live. You, You will exist. There's a difference between existing and living. If you want to just exist and consume resources and then die, you're very welcome to do that. And you can study and dissect any other book on the planet. But if you want to live, if you want to have a lamp unto your feet, if you want to have actual life while you're here and not just exist, then you will consume the word of God. You'll devour the word of God. At City Life Church, we're going to teach the word of God. It'll rain. It'll be first place, not second place. Again, I'll try to dress trendy once in a while. I think I'll try to tweet I guess I'll try to hit the gram and be trendy. But more than that, I'm going to hit the prayer closet and be on my knees because God is who is going to change your life through his scriptures. We'll get creative. Absolutely. We'll have meetings and whiteboards. We can't really afford one right now. We'll get some white papers at Walmart and we'll use those. But more than that, we're going to have prayer meetings and scripture meetings where we study the word of God where we dissect it, where we immerse ourselves in the life-breathing scriptures. Make no mistake about it. This is what you need. This is what will put light, light into your feet. This is what will change your marriage. This is what will give you the right identity as a single person and help you, help you stop coveting a different life and just covet Jesus. This is what you need. You want, you want your life to change? You want your life to transform, to move? 
This is what you need. And it's, it's tragic, right? Because even though I just gave you a, like a passionate spiel about everything that the word of God is, actually the Bible gave its own spiel, a very small percentage of the American church is in love with the scriptures, right? A very small percentage of followers of Jesus know how to have a deep relationship with the scriptures. Some people read maybe five minutes a week, 10 minutes a week. Some people don't have a relationship with the scriptures at all, and yet they consider themselves followers of Jesus. This is why we'll go on this journey, because we're living in this tragedy. We're living in this tragedy right now. Are you hungry? Um, we're going we're gonna to turn to Mark 1. We're, we're there, although we won't actually read Mark 1 until much later. So, but I just want to get us in the mode of turning to Mark 1. Um, and, and it's a good idea, like, if, if you didn't get this for Christmas, if you didn't get, like, a, a, a moleskin journal, uh, go get you one of these. Uh, go get you a journaling Bible. Like, when I sit down for a good meal, I need my fork. That's not, a, that's not every culture, but it's me. I need my fork. I need my knife. I need the big napkin. Put the big napkin on my lap or, or, or tuck it in here because I'm ready to eat, right? And so when you're ready to eat, you bring tools to be ready to eat. And so when you come on Sunday morning, when you go to missional community, we'll also study this in missional community. When, when, when our, our kids are studying this right now. When, when, you, when you're studying this as a family, as a, as a single person, bring your tools. Bring your tools and put, and put some stuff down because we're going to study this together. Uh, again, we are, we are all about creativity. We will do topical series from time to time. But, but for this series, for this season, we are going to dissect and immerse ourselves in the gospel according to Mark. I just want to make one more point. This fits in, in a snuggy, snuggy way. Is that a word? No, snuggly way. How's that? In a snuggly way with our vision. Now, we live in a transient uh, culture, surprise, in a busy culture, big surprise. Therefore, we don't have four days a week to disciple each other and do life together. That's a big buzz phrase in the church. I like to do life together. No, I'm on the train. I'm doing life with the train. All right, you don't, ha- you don't have that time. And you also don't have 10 years with someone probably here, right? So, so we have, in our discipleship process, we have things that we want to pass off to each other. We call them the big three. Uh, one of them is how to pray. One of them is how to be an intentional community. And one of them is how to immerse yourself, have a relationship in the scriptures. So this fits, fits like a, is that what you call a snuggie? One of those things, like with those onesies that you, they used to buy? This is like a snuggie for our discipleship. Get your snuggie on, all right? I don't know why I just said that. Pray for me, guys. Pray for me. All right, here we go. We're in Mark. If you're new to the Bible, we're glad that you're new to the Bible. We're glad that you're here. Don't feel ashamed. Uh, it's, it's, the, the Bible's broken up into two testaments, and the Trinity didn't get real creative either. Their creative meaning wasn't really that long. Father, son, what do you want to call this thing? Old, new? Great. Nailed it, right? So it's called the Old and New Testament. All right, and the New Testament starts Matthew, and then it goes Mark. We're in the big number one, little number one. Uh, context is king when you're studying the Bible, and so we're going to give you the big W's. This is a great time to take notes if you do take notes. The big W's, the who, the what, the why, the where, the when. We're going to start with the who. The who is Mark. Again, it's, it's crazy. The who is Mark. Specifically, the who is John Mark. That's his name, John Mark. And Mark is the ministry buddy of Peter. Mark's the ministry buddy of Peter. And so Mark is taking down what, what Peter's telling him about Jesus, what Peter did, what Peter said, what Peter's preaching, and he's putting it down on papyrus, right? That's what Mark is doing. And Peter is, I think, the best buddy of Jesus, 
Now, John the disciple and Peter fight for being the best buddy of Jesus. But I think John the disciple uh, is, is a little bit too far-reaching, okay? Because he's always like, I'm the beloved. I'm the beloved one. It just feels like that friend that walks in and he's like, I'm humble. It's like, ah, that kind of cancels it out. Kind of cancels it out. It doesn't make sense to me. Right? For, for me, I, th- I think John is a little bit reachy. I think Peter's the best buddy of Jesus, the best friend of Jesus. That's not like a big scholarly thing, okay? So don't write that down. Like, it, it's, it might be, I don't, I don't know, just, just leave it, okay? But I, but I think he's the best buddy. That's my, that's my educated guess, all right? So, so John Mark is taking down Jesus' best buddy and all the information and, and all, all, all that, that Peter had done and said about Jesus, all right? So that's, that's what John Mark is doing, and that's why, because it's the first gospel written and the closest to the a- actual time, that's why Matthew and Luke, fun factoid, take Mark as a good source, as they're writing their Gospels, they look to John Mark's Gospel, the first one written, to, to, to take it as a, as a good source, as a trusted source. Mark is a humble guy. He's, a, he's an educator, and he's an evangelist, uh, and he also doesn't want his name all over stuff. It has to be all over stuff, however, because the, the manuscripts are going, that's what it's called, a manuscript is going from house to house, temple to temple, town to town, and so they didn't want John Mark... The third, some other guy, Bob Joe Randall, which isn't really a Jewish name at all, they didn't want him taking credit for what's going down. Okay, so John, John Mark's name had to be on it. It's also why we don't have a lot of information about Mark. What we do know is that he had stubby fingers. Seriously. Like there, there were trolls back in the day, just like there are today. They didn't, they didn't really document much about Mark, except that, he, except that he had stumpy fingers. So they're just a bunch of haters, Absolutely. I was thinking about calling this series Stumps, but for those of you that have vertically challenged fingers of the chubby variety, I didn't want you to feel offended or anything like that, okay? Now, that's a joke, guys. What we do, what we do know, all right, is that, uh, is that Mark is around everything. So when Peter gets out of jail, miraculously, read that sometime, uh, he goes to John Mark's house. When... Um, Barnabas and Paul have their epic bro fight. They have an epic bro fight in, in, in the New Testament. And you're like, wow, that, that's drama. Uh, he's there. John Mark is there. He takes Barnabas aside, and they go together as Paul and Silas go somewhere else. So we do know that John Mark is a part of these major players' lives, and he's also a, major, uh, he's also a part of these major missionary journeys. All right, so that's the who. Let's move on to the where. I think the where is next. Thank you. Is Rome or Italy? Rome or Italy, most likely Italy, and then the when, when it is written is uh, A.D. 60 to 70, most likely A.D. 68, 69, okay? What's really important is who it's written to and why. And who it's written to is a struggling, fearful group of followers of Jesus uh, in Rome and Italy because they're under this oppressive, really sick leader named Nero. Now, Nero is a mess, and Nero is, he's, let's just leave it at he's sick. Because he's, and this is written by Tacitus, one of the ancient historians. He's upset with the Christians because somehow he got blamed for a fire in Rome, big fires, okay? And so what he does is he wants to blame the Christians. He calls them notoriously, um, notoriously, I'll find it for you, but, but just fine. He, he calls them a bunch of names, and then he starts to put them in cages. Uh, he dresses them up as animals and feeds them to other animals. 
And he's doing this type of stuff at his garden parties. Isn't this crazy? And then he crucifies Christians like their savior Jesus, since they love Jesus so much. Uh, And then on top of that, he's going to light them on fire and he's going to put them on stakes in the street so that they can light the streets up. Glad there are no kids in here, okay? This is who Nero is. So these Christians are scared. They're fearful. You and I would be scared and fearful. We'd be saying, yo, God, if you're, if you're Messiah, Jesus, if you're Messiah, can you take this dude out? Can you, I don't know, put him in a cage? <laughs> That's where the Christians are at. Now, for hundreds of years, people are going to try to dictate who Jesus the Messiah is. They're going to try to make Jesus a certain type of Messiah, a certain type of Savior, and we find it even in, even in the book of 1 Corinthians For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs. Jews are like, God, if you're God, if if you are Jesus, if you are the Messiah, then I want a sign. The the feeding of 5,000, ultimately about 10,000, that wasn't enough. The the resurrecting Lazarus from the dead, that wasn't enough. We want more signs. And the Greeks demand wisdom. They, they coveted, they loved wisdom, and, and it was their ultimate love, it was their ultimate desire, and so they, the Greeks wanted Jesus to be the most wise plan that there possibly was, and really it's folly to them that somebody would die on a cross. Um, I'll, I'll read the rest of this, but for those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Pedro wisely pointed out, and I think it was actually some scholars before Pedro, but Pedro's my boy, so I'll give him credit for it. Uh, at missional community, he pointed this out, uh, and it said there were three really major religious sects of the time. Uh, one of them was the Zealots. And all, all of these religious sects wanted Jesus to be somebody that he wasn't. All of them wanted a certain type of Messiah, a, ter- a certain type of Savior. So the Zealots wanted muscle, right? because they were revolutionaries. They wanted to take it to Rome with muscle. They wanted protein powder Jesus, Right? They want to jack Jesus. They want Jesus to come in with like two chariots on his, on his biceps, shooting lightning bolts out of his pecs. And when Jesus didn't do that, when Jesus had the body frame of like Frodo, Frodo Baggins, uh, and, and he dies on a cross on purpose, that's not the type of Messiah they were looking for. And there's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were like religious hall monitors. Remember that annoying hall monitor back in the day? He was, they were somehow your peer but they were rebuking you all the time? That, that, was, that was the Pharisees. That's why they get in a fight with Jesus all the time. They're like, Jesus, your, your, your disciples, they picked heads of grain on the Sabbath. Jesus, you're healing on the Sabbath. They're like religious hall monitors, and Jesus not only did not follow their laws, but he broke their big ones, like calling himself Savior. So he was not the Messiah that they wanted. The Sadducees just want to control the temple. Rome gave them control of the temple, and here Jesus comes, and he doesn't want them to have control of the temple. Here Jesus comes, he says, I'm going to break the temple down in three days, build it back up. He's talking about himself, and he's talking about religion is not going to save you, but my death and resurrection, it will save you. And so none of these people like Jesus. He's not the savior they wanted. He's not the Messiah they wanted. And the Christians, man, the the little Christ is what they're called. They just want a, a breath. They just want relief. They just want their friends to stop being crucified. And then, you know, Mark comes in and he says this. And calling the crowd to him, he's quoting Jesus with, with his disciples. He said to them, if, any of, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
Yikes. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Jesus is not going to take us out of this pain. He's not going to use his muscle. Jesus is not going to be the perfect religious picture that we were hoping for him to be. He's not going to make your life look the way that you want. And really, this, this whole book begs a major question. When will you stop dictating to Jesus what, what kind of savior he should be? Man, this hit me this week. When will you stop telling Jesus what your life should look like? What your finances should look like? What your friendships should look like? What your relationships should look like? When will you stop dictating to Jesus what your salvation should look like? What his messiahship should look like? I think we've got a dictator problem. I think we're all little dictators. It starts young. My, my, my two-year-old is dictating to everybody what we all should do. It starts young. And if you don't believe me, this dictatorship thing, like think about what most people bought this Christmas. We bought a little speaker that goes in the middle of your living room, and you just start demanding to that speaker what you, uh, Alexa, put on jazz music. You don't even want jazz. You don't even know what jazz music is. Do it, Alexa, because I said so. You know, it's like, and then when Siri doesn't do something, I yell at Siri. You know what I mean? She doesn't do something. I'm like, you're worthless. She's like, I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm like, just shut up, Siri. You know, it's, it's just the worst, right? You just, you just love to dictate what this thing does for you. I think we have this complex inside of us. And here's the problem. Jesus is not Siri, and Jesus is not Alexa. He's not going to do what we want. He's not going to save us the way we want or be the Messiah that we think he should be. He's not going to transform our finances and, and, and go with our agenda and go with our plan. He's not going to do really any of that. He's going to be the Savior that he needs to be. And he will be king. And he is king. And it will be his kingdom. But he will not be a muscle king. He'll be a servant king. He'll be a suffering servant. This is the type of kingship he's going to have. And his kingdom is going to be full of servants, not dictators. His kingdom is going to be full of people who surrender and say, I'm nothing and you're everything, who are willing to wipe the slate clean and say, Jesus, you dictate how you want to save me. That's what his kingdom is going to be like. And I, I don't know if we're there yet. But just ask yourself that. I could ask myself that like once a month. Am I telling Jesus what my salvation should look like? Now, I'm not just talking about like salvation to go to heaven. We're all stuck in something. We're all stuck between a rock and a hard place in a relationship or in finances or in our job or in our relationship, whatever it is. We're all stuck and we're asking God to pull us out of that stuckness. And all of us are trying to dictate to God what that stuckness uh, looks like and also how he should save us from that stuckness. Is that where you're at? Like someone once told me that I had a, a, a savior complex, is what they said. Clearly I'm not over it, because it was like 15 years ago, and I'm still bringing it up, so I need some soul care, apparently. But they told me that I have a savior complex. It was like in the first five minutes he met me, too. Um, but he said, I, I just want to save people. I want to I be the hero of the story. And he's right. You know, he, I still have that. Like, when, when we were sleeping in Michigan, uh, I, kept a, I kept a bat by my bed. Now, I was Michigan. Most people had guns. I had a bat. I didn't want to you know, hurt somebody that bad. I just wanted to make sure their legs weren't moving anymore uh, and that I was the hero. Like that's, so I just kept the bat, uh, and I kept it by the bed. And any time we heard something, not like city noises, we're like in a more rural context, um, we heard something, and we'd be like, what's that? And I'd be like, I don't know, but it's my time. <laughs> you know, I get the bat, and I'm thinking to my, like, she's scared. And I'm thinking to myself, 
I wish you would. I wish someone would try to take my flat screen. I wish you would, because I know every dark place of this house. And you're going to come around the corner, and there I'm going to be. Like Bruce Willis, when he was like young, I'm going to be like Bruce Willis, standing over you, your legs barely move, I'm calling 911 with the bat in your face. Like, I'm the man. Like, that's really what I picture. So yes, he was right, I do have a problem. Okay? But let's picture something else. Picture something else. Another scenario. You're drowning. And it's my story, so obviously I'm not going to drown. You're going to drown. Okay, you're drowning. And I hop on the jet ski. Now, I always wonder how, like, James Bond knew, like, the controls of, like, every, like, motorcycle and jet ski he jumped on. Just picture me knowing all the controls of the jet ski. All right, I never rode one before, but I know this. And I'm, I'm jumping over waves to get to you. My hair is more, you know, flowy. And it's going in the wind. And I get to you. And I'm ready to save you and rescue you. But you tell me, no, Justin. I want one of those life preservers. Now, picture this. I mean, you're drowning. No, Justin, I want a life preserver. So I go get you a life preserver. Going over waves. It's a red one. You're like, no, Justin, I want a green life preserver. I'm like, okay, this is getting weird. So I go get you a green one. You're like, no, Justin, that has a matte finish, M-A-T-T-E finish. I want a life preserver that's green with a glossy finish. Like at some point in my back and forth, I'm going to think to myself, they're probably not ready to be rescued, right? Somewhere in your dictatorship of how I save you, I'm going to think you're not really ready to be saved. You're not really ready for me to pull you out. And I see it. I see it in the church all the time. Someone will dictate to either God or the church what their salvation should look like, whether it be from something or forever from Jesus. You can save me, but it has to look this way. I'll let let you pray for me, but it has to be this way. I'm not going to go to this place in my heart and soul. I'm 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 going to leave a wall up there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I... You can save me, but it has to look this way. And we do this with Jesus to the point where I wonder if he's up there going, are you, are you really ready? See, if you picture your heart like a whiteboard, I think all over that whiteboard is an agenda of how it looks for Jesus to love you, save you, rescue you, be in a relationship with you. All over that whiteboard, it's covered. And I don't think you're, you or I are even ready for the gospel according to Mark until we wipe that slate clean. We get called the soul slate. Until it's clean and you say, Jesus, you save me how you want to save me. We're not ready. Now, I hope, I hope you're ready and I hope you'll do the, the heart work, the soul work. Uh, this week, if you're not ready, maybe go home, be alone, ask God, am I ready? I hope you're ready because uh, we've finally arrived at Mark 1 and we're about five minutes from the end of the sermon. So... If that's any indication of how this is all going to go, we're going to be here for six years. All right? Here we go. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. So Mark's going to take us all the way back, all the way back to Isaiah. He's going to say, this is where the gospel starts. Starts in Isaiah. Matter of fact, the gospel starts at the beginning of the world. 
But here's where God is proving who's going to come first. And he's going to start with this guy named John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is going to start to fulfill prophecy. uh, and, and, And he starts with Isaiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's the gospel. That's the gospel he's preaching. As a matter of fact, Jesus is going to come and he's going to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is, anybody know it? Near. Who is he talking about? Himself. This is a gospel of forgiveness and repentance. And I wonder how much of your stuckness is because you won't let the gospel be about repentance and forgiveness. Think about it. Jews, they were so good at religion, they didn't need to forgive anyone. They couldn't forgive themselves. Uh, The the, the Pharisees, they couldn't forgive themselves. Uh, The religious folks, the Sadducees, uh, they were not not dealing with this type of salvation because they didn't need forgiveness. And then then you got the zealots, the idea of forgiveness and repentance. These are are weak ideas, and maybe that's you, and maybe you're stuck in your relationships because you need to forgive somebody. Maybe you need to repent to somebody. Maybe you're stuck in your life because you need to forgive somebody. You need to repent to somebody. Maybe your soul is in turmoil because you refuse to forgive somebody. You you refuse to repent. This is a gospel built on turning to Jesus away from your sin and God forgiving you no matter how many things you've done, no matter how many times you've done them. And so I just wonder if your stuckness is from that. Let's just start there. Worship team, come up here. Let's start there. If you close your eyes with me, we will pray some prayers of the soul together. I like to do this at the end of messages because I feel like we're at the place where we can reflect well and we've turned our hearts to God. God, would you sift through our hearts right now? Holy Spirit, you have the power to do that. Would you sift through our hearts right now and tell us if there's somebody that we need to forgive? And I have a feeling for a large part, a large portion of the group in this room, that someone is ourselves. It's a very go-getter type crowd. That's why we live where we live. And that's good. That's a strength. But we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. God, would you bring up the people that we're not forgiving? Would it be a father, a mother, a family member, a friend? Would you... Would you bring them up? Because we're holding ourselves bondage right now. It's a gospel of forgiveness. Were you forgiven us? You told us if we don't forgive others, we can't expect to be forgiven. So God, we, we forgive people. Would you help us have the strength to forgive people? God, is there something that we have not repented of? Sift through the hearts right now. Sift through the hearts. Is there something we need to repent of? Unfinished business something we're prideful about. God, we worship you in spirit and truth, which means as we sing these words, we confess, we repent, we ask for forgiveness as we forgive others. Why don't you stand up with me? Do you trust Jesus this morning? Do you trust his gospel? Do you wipe the slate clean? Do you allow God to sift through your heart? Will you allow him to break down your pride walls? Will you allow him to tell you who you haven't forgiven? Will you allow him to tell you what you haven't repented of? Will you allow him to do that this morning? Just allow him. 
Just say, you save me. I can't save myself. Tell God in your heart, you rescue me. I can't rescue myself. Stop telling God what the, what the color of the donut should look like, what the color of the life preserver should look like, and just allow him to save you the way that he wants to save you. One of the ways he wants to save you is through repentance and forgiveness. And so be active right now. Let your soul be active. Let your heart be active. Let your mind be active. Would you worship God in spirit and truth? And if you need to repent, would you repent? If you need to forgive, would you, would you forgive? Don't leave here the same. Don't leave here with unfinished business. We trust you, Holy Spirit. You're a gentleman. You love us. You're for us. You're in us. You're through us. And we worship you in the name of Jesus Christ.